As we continue, stand with me, please. Leaning on the everlasting arms.
Father God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. Father, I just ask that you be with us as we listen to Brother Danny bring us our message today, Father. We just thank you for all the blessings, again, that you give us. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being in church today. Uh, first of all, Linda Allen, it's so good to see you with us today. And uh, we are thankful that God has made a way for you and God is good and he's protected you through this. Um, also, I want to um, recognize um, how much it means to me to have staff pray over me and others to pray over me before I get into this pulpit. And that's a great blessing. And um, thank you for your prayers always. Today we have the privilege, you may have already read in your worship guide this morning, that we will be welcoming our Corsicana Tiger varsity tennis team um, in the second service today. Um, Coach White, amen, amen. Um, over here to my left and your right is a coaching legend with the Corsicana Tiger tennis team. Let's give it up for Philip Keltner. No, we are so excited to welcome Coach White and the tennis team. Um, they are currently um, have a 13 and one record, two and zero in district. They are number 19 in 5A tennis in the state of Texas. And more than that, this program—if you're not aware—they have been so dominant over the years. Um, Philip assisted me in getting some stats um, for this team since 1986. Church, they have never missed the playoffs in team tennis. In that period of time, they have a 70. 3% winning percentage and over those years since 86 they have been district champs 18 times and so it's a phenomenal program Philip has been a part of that coach White and we're so excited we're going to have about 30 I believe 30 to 40 um, from that team in our second service today so be praying for them as they come today we um, are welcoming team after team throughout the fall and hopefully in the spring and we're going to try to do this to just reach young people for the gospel of Jesus Christ somebody say amen and so we're talking about teams today, and I think that's appropriate. And so I want to start off this morning's message by asking if you can remember the first team that you were ever on. Can you remember the very first team you were ever on? For me, it's very easy growing up out in West Texas, um, vivid memories of my very first team. I played Little League Baseball for the Tigers. Uh, we were black and white, black uniforms, white pinstripes. I was so excited to put that uniform on every single year. We, we began younger kids. I was on the B team. I played in the outfield. And then when we moved to the A team, the older kids, I got to be on first base. And I still have the exact same glove at my house that I wore then. Can you imagine how that bit, how big that was on my hand back in the day? My mom called it the bucket. Because it could catch anything over at first base. And so that was so much fun. Uh, my mom always made me take naps on game day so that I would be ready. And that was so hard for a boy that was filled with all these jitters and butterflies. And, and one of my most vivid memories is I got really good at doing this. Probably some of you did as well. Hey, better, better, better. Hey, better, better. Swing, better, better, right? I got really good at that. I, I loved being a part of a team. Now, when Jesus launched his ministry... He could have been a one-man show. Strike that. He could have been a one-God show because Jesus is God in the flesh, right? However, he didn't choose to be a one-man show. Jesus Christ 
chose a team. Uh, This morning, we're going to be reading about that as we continue this incredible um, teaching series called The Remarkable Life of Jesus. We're studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't been with us, we are having such a great time as we sporadically just march through the Gospel of Mark, and we're learning so much. The Gospel of Mark, if you don't know this, was the very first gospel that was written. And Matthew and Luke and John used Mark's gospel as source material for their own writing. We've learned that it was written to a Roman audience. It's a book of action. It talks about what Jesus did. Uh, the, the book of Matthew, a lot about Jesus' teachings. But in Mark, it's all about action. Jesus is moving quickly and immediately here and there doing all of these things. And if you weren't with us for this series, we launched with a study on John the Baptist. We learned that we must repent if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The second sermon, we said if you're not fishing for Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. We have to be sharing our faith. And then last week, we the title of the message was Hosting a Supper for Sinners. And we asked the question, have you ever said, am I good enough to go to church? Am I good enough to be in God's presence? And we learned how silly that is. That's like saying, am I healthy enough to go to the doctor? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Jesus calls people sinners to follow him and fellowship with him. And so that's wonderful news. Now today... The message is titled, The Power of Teamwork, and we get to read today about how Jesus chose his team. So take your Bibles today, go with me to Mark's Gospel, obviously, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word today, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. The title over this section in my Bible is, The Appointing of the Twelve Apostles. Here's how it reads. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designated them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanjernes, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, also known as Levi, you might remember. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Today my prayer for us is this. As we study the appointing of these disciples that we would realize, that we would know, that you would know that God is still calling people to be his disciples today. Amen? Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, the point of this message is the power, the great power of teamwork. Uh, We can say today that God believes in teamwork. In fact, God himself exists as a team within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You remember in Genesis 1, it says, Let us make man in our image. There's a phrase that I've heard all my life that says, Teamwork makes the dream work. And Andrew Carnegie understood that, the great American industrialist. He said this, Teamwork is the ability to work together towards a common vision. It's the fuel that allows common people to obtain 
uncommon results, it seems like everybody understands teamwork, even the geese, right? Have you ever seen geese fly in a V formation? If you've been out to IWF Park walking, sometimes the geese will even be flying above there as they come in for a landing. They fly in a V formation. And the air vortex created from a goose in front of another provides lift for the one that's behind. And I don't know how they calculated this, but scientists say geese can fly 76% farther when they fly in formation than when they fly solo. So today we're talking about teamwork. We're going to talk about the team Jesus formed. And then as I said, my prayer for you is this. We're also going to talk about how he calls you to be a part of spiritual teams. Let's start with this point. Jesus chose 12 men to be on his team. That's where we begin today, that Jesus chose 12 men to be on his team. Now, the word in our text is the word apostles, but we also know these to be what? The 12 disciples. And the word disciple, if you don't know, very simply, it means follower. Jesus called 12 men to be his followers. I want to ask you today, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you chosen to follow Jesus with your life? Jesus chose 12 men to follow him. And it's interesting, experts seem to agree that Jesus chose a poor team. Now, why would they say that? Well, you have to understand who these people were. The men Jesus chose were ignorant or uneducated, it says, in the book of Acts. And we can go this far. If Jesus had hired a headhunting firm to choose his team, I doubt any of these guys would have been chosen. I came across this fictitious letter. It's really humorous, I think. I'm going to share it with you. And it goes like this. It's from a headhunting firm written to Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. May 6th, 30 AD, from the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem, and here's how it reads. Thank you so much, sir, for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you're considering for managers in your organization. After a battery of interviews, it's the opinion of our experts that most of your nominees are lacking in education and aptitude for the enterprise you're undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, put personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas shows a questioning attitude that would undermine morale. We must tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. Both James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus have radical leanings and registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale. Simon the Zealot has carried out subversive acts against the Romans. One of your candidates, however, shows great potential. He has a keen business mind and contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, very ambitious. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you success, sir, in your new venture. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. Great letter, right? Now, I've been asked this for years. People always want to know why Jesus chose Judas Iscariot in the first place. Get out your pen and paper, all right? I'm going to tell you why right now. Get ready. Here it is. Why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot? You ready? I have no idea. 
But we're going to find out when we get to heaven, okay? We're going to find out. But Jesus chose 12 disciples. So here's what I want to do. I want to consider the marks of a disciple. And I want to ask again, are you a disciple? Have you chosen to follow Jesus Christ? Listen to these marks of a disciple laid out in this text. First of all, disciples spend time with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus called these disciples that they might be with him. Jesus wanted to hang out with them so he could pour himself into them. And that's what a disciple primarily is. It's somebody who walks with Jesus Christ. It's somebody who says, Jesus, I want you to be Lord over my life. You see, the primary job of a disciple, we get this totally confused, me included, is not to go out and work for Jesus. That's important, but that's not your number one goal. If you want to be a disciple, the most important thing for you is to get alone with Jesus and spend time with Jesus. Now, if you're in our Wednesday night study, and let me just say this, it is the most dynamic thing happening at First Baptist Church right now. And I'm not kidding with you. It is phenomenal what's happening on Wednesday night, but that's what we're talking about. There is a hunger in our Wednesday night Bible study to know God more. And what I'm telling our people is this, that every person, that's you, every believer should have a dynamic life-giving, intimate, personal walk with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way that happens is that you spend time with God every single day. You're no longer just a church member. You're no longer just a church attender. It's not about coming here and soaking and setting, but it's about doing what God calls you to do. Spend time with Him. Encounter Him. Read His Word. Talk to Him. Listen to Him. Be in awe and wonder of Him. That's what a disciple is. They spend time with Jesus. Let me tell you the second thing. Disciples also share the good news of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me say this, and I'm saying this as a preacher, as I preach to you. But here's the statement. The job of preaching is not just for the preacher. Now, I'm going to let that soak for just a second. The job of preaching is not just for the preacher. Have you ever heard the quote given by St. Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Now that sounds nice, but I need to burst your bubble. St. Francis never said that. It's actually an anonymous phrase that was attributed to him, but we know what it means. It means that the loudest way to preach the gospel is by your actions. But here's the truth. We have to walk the walk. Yes, actions are important, but you also, hear me, you have to talk the talk. Friend, there's only one meaning to the word preach, and it means to announce the good news. And you can't do that silently. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, you have a faith story to share. And it's very simple. Here's what my life was like before Christ. Here's what Jesus did to me and for me. And here's how my life is different now. I have a testimony because Jesus Christ saved me. If that happened to you, say amen. Tell that story then, right? 
Preach the good news. Preach the gospel. Every disciple of Jesus should speak and share the good news. Let me give you a third marker for a disciple. The disciples spend time with Jesus. Disciples share the good news of Jesus. Third, disciples speak with the authority of Jesus. Now, I love what it says in the text, but we know eventually Jesus sends these disciples out. And when they go, they speak with authority to even drive out demons. Now, I love talking about this because we as Baptists, I think we fail to understand the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We have authority over the enemy. We have authority to speak in the name of Jesus over Satan himself. You see, when I go out, I have no advantage over Satan in the name of Danny Reeves. I have no advantage over Satan in the name of First Baptist Church, Corsicana. But when I go out in the name of Jesus Christ, friend, I have authority and so do you. You can speak with authority in the name of Jesus. Consider this illustration, all right? This is for you, Clayton, all right? Are you ready? Here we go. There is a 14-ton, 18-wheeler speeding down the highway. You got it in your mind? Up ahead is this 210-pound man who steps out into the road and he holds up his hand for the truck to stop. Now, in terms of brute strength, which one's going to win? The 18-wheeler. It's it's, it's not even a match, right? The truck is going to win. But this man who stepped out holding up his hand, he has the uniform of a Texas state trooper. And he says, stop in the name of the law. And if that driver knows what's good for him, friend, he will stop. Now, the same is true for us. Follow the illustration. We're no match for Satan and his demons. We're no match for them at all. But when we say stop in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan and all of his minions, right, they come to a screeching halt. I am so proud to say that by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I hope you can say the same thing today. And if you're not a disciple yet, why don't you make that choice today? Jesus chose 12 men to be his disciples. He chose 12 to be his followers. Now, the most important point of the day is the second one. Jesus is still calling people to be on his team. He initially called 12 to be on his team, but he's still calling people to be on his team. Now, I want you to imagine in your mind the poster we've seen probably thousands of times, Uncle Sam pointing his finger, and what's he say? I want you, right? I think Jesus is saying the same thing to you today. As a matter of fact, I know he is. Jesus says the same thing. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to be on his team. He wants you to follow him. Now, in our age of social media, I think we've lost the meaning of what it means to follow someone. Are you following me? Right? We say that all the time on Twitter and these things. I saw a humorous poster not long ago where Jesus was talking to a young man. He says, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. Right? Now, to follow Jesus is the main priority of our life. It should be your main priority to say day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, I'm choosing to follow Jesus right now. And Jesus has several teams that I'm convinced 
he wants every disciple to be on. I'm going to mention five of them today, all right? Write these down for yourself. Five teams Jesus wants you to be on. Number one, he wants you to join a local church team. Does anybody know the word for church in the New Testament? It's the word ekklesia. Okay, it's a Greek word, literally means a person or persons called out of the world. Now, that's expressed in two ways, right? There's an idea of all believers on the planet making up the true church, this ecclesia idea, the big church, capital C. But the other idea, and this is the most prominent one in your New Testament, it refers to a local church, right? Like the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, like First Baptist Church Corsicana. And, and within our church, within this ecclesia, there are two kinds of people. First, there are members, baptized believers in Jesus, who have chosen to join our team. And some of you are here today and you say, well, that's me, all right? I'm a baptized believer. I've chosen to join this team. And then there are others People who come and give and worship, but they aren't members yet. And I want to say this to you. God wants you to join a local church. Is it this church? I hope so. But it may not be. It may be a different church. But he wants you to join a local church to get into a position to serve and grow in your faith. It's the difference from being a spectator or a participant. Now, I want to tell you this story. I think you'll appreciate this. Years ago, this pastor visited this, this young couple that had attended their church. And as he visited them, he, it was obvious they knew the Lord. They talked about their faith. It was very dynamic. He was encouraged. And he asked them, where's your current church membership? And the guy smiled and says this, oh, pastor, we're not a member of any church. We're just members of the church. And he does his hands like this, right? Well, the pastor saw that they didn't seem to understand their need to join a local church. But as he was walking out, he saw the man had trophies on his mantle from softball tournaments. And he said, well, I see you play softball. I love to play myself. Really? What team do you play for? The man said. And the wise pastor said, oh, I don't play for any team. I'm just a member of the team, right? I just tossed the ball up and hit it and run and get it and do it over and over and over again. And, and the man looked at the pastor and said, I see. And several weeks later, they joined the church, right? If you're here today and, and you're not a member of our church yet, what are you waiting for? God wants you to join a local church team. Let me tell you the second team that he wants you to be a part of. He wants you to join or be a part fellowshipping with a Bible study or a Sunday school team. And I'll say this to you, I love that you're here. I love that you're in worship. I love that you're lifting up the name of Jesus with me and all these people around us. It's a valuable, valuable thing. But if all you ever do is come to worship, you're missing out, I think, on the greatest blessing God has for you. And that's a small group Bible study. That's a Sunday school class, a Bible fellowship. I don't care what we call it. Uh, some people call it big church and little church. I, I want you to be a part of little church. Let me explain it like this. Raise your hand if you've ever been on a plane flight. Ever been on an airline flight? Okay. Now, every passenger on that flight more or less has the same experience. You hear the same safety briefing. You see the same corny, here's how to buckle your seatbelt spill. 
Um, you experience the same turbulence. You arrive at the same time. Nobody's getting there earlier than anybody else, right? And the passengers associate together, but they don't really have fellowship or relationship. They're just on flight number so-and-so. They have proximity, right? You're near those people, but they don't have community. Well, I believe this. Christians who aren't a part of a Sunday school class are experiencing airline Christianity. You're in here together with the same music, right? The same sermon, the same experience. You're you're starting the same and ending the same, but you don't have community. To say it again, this is big church, but you need little church. And there's a word in the New Testament for fellowship. It's the word koinonia. It means sharing life, okay? That happens in small groups, it happens when you join a Sunday school team. You got to cho- you got to join a church team. You got to join a Sunday school team. Let me give you the third today. You need to serve on a ministry team. How many committees does First Baptist Church have? Six. Only six. But guess what we do have? Dozens of ministry teams doing all this ministry that we have. And I'm going to say this to you, you need to be serving on one of those teams. You need to be one on at least one of those teams. And let me go back to what I was saying earlier. There are two kinds of people in, in churches. There are those who are serving, and then there are those who are only sitting and soaking. And I need to ask, which are you? Don't just sit and soak and sour until the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? No, get out and serve. And there's a lot of people, I've heard them say it. You've actually said it to me. You say, well, you don't need me. Yes, we do. (laughs) We totally need you. If God brought you to First Baptist Church, Corsicana, he brought you here for a reason. He has a job for you to do. Your spiritual gifts are supposed to be employed so that we become a healthier ministry. So I, I challenge you to move out from simply receiving a blessing and start being a blessing. Find a place to serve. Get on a ministry team. Do it today, right? Come to me today. Come to one of our staff today and say, hey, I want to serve somewhere. Help me find where I'm needed. So join a church team. Join a Sunday school team. Serve on a ministry team. Number four, circle up with a prayer team. Circle up with a prayer team. Now, I need to be revealing, we don't have at First Baptist Church a prayer ministry structure like this right now. But I do know this, that every Christian needs to be a part of a prayer group. And here's my request today. I want to ask you to begin forming prayer groups. And there may be somebody in here today that says, Pastor, I'm going to lead that effort. That's something I can do. I'll put the whole shebang together, right? But I want to ask you to start forming prayer groups. Because the true sign of spiritual revival in our church is not when we have more people. It's not when more people are attending. It's not when we have more new members. It's not when we have more money given. I believe this true sign of spiritual revival is going to be when we have dozens of spontaneous prayer groups who are meeting together calling out to God. You have to be a part circling up on a prayer team. Let me give you the fifth thing today. Be a team captain. Be a team captain. In other words, lead out in a ministry. Let me ask you this. Have you ever looked around our church? 
Have you ever just looked around our ministry and said, you know, our church ought to be doing such and such. That's how ministries get started here. Let me tell you this. Somebody comes to me like Michelle Purifoy and says, Pastor, we really ought to do some type of baby shower for the Hope Center. And that's exactly how it happened. And I said, Michelle, you would be incredible to lead that effort because God has laid it on your heart. And that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what Michelle chose to do. And that's exactly why we're able to celebrate 5,000 diapers and 5,000 wipes and over 200 outfits. You cannot believe the pile, the mass of stuff that we delivered to young mothers and fathers who desperately need it. And they're going to hear the gospel, but it's because somebody chose to be a team captain. You can do that too. Look around and say, where am I needed? What does our church need to be involved in? God, are you calling me? You see, if God is birthing that ministry in you, you need to say yes to it. Start it and form a team and let God do the work. So so here's my summarizing statement. Folks, there is remarkable power in teamwork. There's remarkable power in teamwork. So I close with this story. The story comes from years ago when most of the roads were dirt roads. And there was a farmer who lived near a road that was prone to flooding. And when that happened, he was bringing his old mule buddy down to pull these cars out of the mud. And on one occasion, he arrived and he, and he hooked up Buddy to this, aban- or this stranded car. Remember, his name is Buddy. And the farmer then yelled, pull, Nellie, pull. But Buddy didn't move. And then he yelled, pull, Jenny, pull. But Buddy didn't move. And then he yelled, pull, Buddy, pull. And Buddy, by himself, easily pulled that car out of the mud. And somebody asked the farmer, why did you call those other names before you called Buddy's name? And the farmer said this. He said, old Buddy is blind. And if he ever thought he was the only one pulling, he wouldn't even try. But I do that to make him believe he's a part of a team. And the idea of teamwork gives him the strength to pull out any car. Let's be reminded today, Jesus.